1: There's a gross disparities in how the war on drugs was applied across our
2: country.
0: Now we're fighting against years of brainwashing.
2: A 16-year-old lad apprehended in the act of staging a holdup. 16 years old and a marijuana
1: addict. Meanwhile, war fighters in my community are killing themselves at a rate of 22 a day.
2: All this stuff—it's—it's. It's- it made me feel like a complete piece of shit. I didn't want to live, you know what I mean? So we need academia to embrace it. We need our
0: politicians to embrace it. We need a physician community to embrace it so that the patients win at the end of the day.
2: The Up Life is a production of the Unprescribed Nonprofit. This show is made possible by contributions from supporters just like you. Subscribe to our channel and follow us on social. We are the Unprescribed. And now, on with the show. Hello, and welcome to the Life, the show that inspires us to live life to its fullest. I'm your host, Steve Elmore, founder of the Unprescribed Nonprofit.
0: And I'm the co host, Sharice Jackson, CEO and founder of We Decode Retired Air
2: Today, we're joined by Tahir Johnson, director of social equity and inclusion of Marijuana Policy Project and host of the podcast Cannabis Diversity Report. Tahir, the idea behind our show is to uplift our audiences and with inspiring stories of resilience in the face of life's greatest challenges. In literary terms, a hero's journey. So today, we'd like to talk to you about your journey and how you inspire others today to live the uplife. Tahir, thanks for joining us. We're excited to have you. Teresa, over to you.
0: To hear, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. I know you and I have done a lot of work over the last two years since I met you. And to be able to hear how you started in this industry, to talk to us about your journey, your challenges, and how you overcame those challenges would be amazing for our listeners and our viewers. So today, we're so, so excited. So let's start there. Talk to us about who you are and a little bit about your background.
1: Yes, well, Sharisa and Steve, thank you so much for having me on here. Um, it means so much for me um, to just have the opportunity to come on and tell my story. Um, for those listening and watching, my name is Tahir Johnson. I am the Director of Social Equity and Inclusion at the Marijuana Policy Project, host of the Cannabis Diversity Report podcast, and most recently, the founder and CEO of Simply Pure Trenton Dispensary. In- so I'm just. Congratulations. Um, you know, Super excited. You want me to go into go into how I got started now? Yeah,
0: tell us how you got started. I mean, because you and I met two years ago when I started to get into the cannabis industry and someone gave me your name and I hit you up on LinkedIn and, and you and I started there, but I never knew how you got into the industry. So let's start there. What made you get into the industry?
1: Yes. And man, I'm I'm so happy that um we were blessed to come together. You were the fir- like the first person like that reached out to me in the inbox that I feel like I could start like gave that advice to. So you were instrumental um, in my my journey. Um, I got started in the cannabis industry in 2018. Um, At the time, I was working in wealth management. I was an investment advisor at SunTrust Investments. Um, I had been in the financial services industry for a number of years at Morgan Stanley and other firms. Um, Actually, my first interest started in 2013 uh, when I saw a company called GW Pharma um, going public um, when I was at Morgan Stanley. Um, and so that was the first thing that kind of gave me the, the insight. It's like, this is something a little bit different than what they were locking me and my friends up for, right, growing up. Um, and when I saw that, I wasn't quite ready to get into the industry yet because I'm still thinking, like, this is weed, right? Here I am. I'm a professional. That's not me. So right. I cannot be part of that. Yeah. Um, and then fast forward a couple of years later, in 2018, my dad had fibromyalgia. Um, and we were, we live in Maryland. Ma- Maryland was just launching their um, medical cannabis program. And I read about um, my friend, Hope Wiseman. She's the youngest mm-hmm. black woman in the country to own a dispensary. I know
2: her I know her well. She's actually featured in my film, Unprescribed. She yeah, actually it. helped us get that story out there.
1: Yeah. And if it wasn't for Hope, I, you know, I, I have to say I wouldn't be here. That was one of the things that kind of gave me the insight that somebody like me and my background can have a place in the industry. And my dad, um, you know, when I was like, Dad, I think you should try medical cannabis. He's like, son, I've been smoking weed since the 60s, man. <laughs> and I was like, no, you know, it really is right. all these different medical things. And so we wanted to try to find a way for him to get off the pregnant zone or other medications that they had to prescribe to. And I started looking um, more closely at the industry. um, And so I had the opportunity to start working at a dispensary um part time. And um, the rest was history. I I mean, I quit the job working in finance just because I saw how much like passion and opportunity we're having to help people. And I decided that I wanted to apply for licenses myself. Um, And so I joined the team and we applied for licenses in Maryland and New Jersey. Um, Didn't win. Um, So, you know, I didn't want to be defeated. I was still trying to figure out what am I going to do? How am I going to get into the industry? And I decided that my background in finance was something that I could use to try to help um, minorities get into the industry, because at the same time, I had discovered that um, that there really weren't a lot of Black and minorities in the industry, and I knew that because of my business background, I was hoping that I would be able to help um, try to bridge that gap, and so I, I got started working in policy and advocacy. Um, late in, in 2019, I started working at the National Cannabis Industry Association. and had the opportunity to help them build their diversity, equity, and inclusion programs, and that was really my start. Um, you know, and having the opportunity to do things on a national scale, um, get active in lobbying, and, and really have the opportunity to like kind of leave my mark on what the industry could be and impacting diversity and inclusion.
0: So, so that's, that's incredible to hear. Um, I didn't know that you were a suited, you know, person in finance and to know that you were there and to shift cannabis. I mean, those are on two different spectrums, right? For you to be tight collar, you know, in finance and now in cannabis. What were some of the challenges that you probably faced transitioning um, from that previous um, job that you had?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the first challenge in itself is the stigma, right? Um, Especially for me as as a young black man. Like I was the only one of my, like only one of my family that went away to go to college. So this idea of being involved in weed, right? Even though it had been something that I had always been around, heck, sold weed, had consumed cannabis, all of those type of things. I didn't want to like have that, you know, that stigma that comes with being involved in cannabis. Cause I was like, oh, I'm a, I'm a good guy, right? I'm not all of these other things. And so getting past that was the, I mean, first and foremost, um, the number one thing but also because of what I did professionally, um, it was difficult for me to take that like part-time, like one foot in, one foot out, because since cannabis is federally illegal, um, you know, the restrictions on banking are super harsh. So being that I had a, had a career in banking, there was no way that they were going to let me have this part-time job in cannabis. So I, I really came to a crossroads where it was like, I had this six-figure job, right? And then I had the the tender job where I was making $15 an hour. So I had to make it decide what I wanted to do for my future. Um, and man, it was a hard decision to, to say, I'm gonna leave the job where I made all the money. Um, but like I said, in the dispensary and just a little bit of time working there, like I had seen, I had seen, like, I met veterans talk about how it helped them with PTSD, like, I had met people who had, like, trouble, like, barely even being able to move, and, like, cannabis being it, helping them with their pain, um, even, like, having older people in the help them in the bedroom, right, so I'm like, all of these type of things you see cannabis doing, I'm like, this is something so serious, and I was like, you know, this is what my, like, what, what I had the opportunity to do and, and change the world. Um, Also, it really was like the social equity aspect of it. Um, and, And that really wasn't even a word that everybody was saying back then, like they are now. But really, then it was also more about like there was this narrative at that time that people that came from a certain place or like what we call the traditional market now couldn't be a part of this industry because they're like, oh, it's a a publicly traded companies now. We're talking about multimillion dollar businesses. And I wanted to disrupt that. I wanted to be able to show that a black man like me or somebody that came where I came from had the potential to be in the industry. And so a lot of it was just wanting to be able to disrupt and try to help um, put other people on. I didn't necessarily know that I would end up where I am now um but just given the position that I was in I felt like it made sense and it was something I had to pursue personally
0: you know I love the fact that you you have a personal connection to the plant be it that your father you know had fibromyalgia and then for you to kind of start rock bottom in the cannabis industry being a bud tender and having your customers talk about the efficacy of cannabis and how it's helping with pain and for you to connect with veterans with PTSD so how how was that impactful for you to be like, yeah, I'm in an industry where I know this plant helped my dad. And now I'm in a dispensary hearing other testimonials and hearing other stories. How impactful was that for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think like for me, like I said, it was that I think the qualifier that I needed was tearing down that stigma. So then when I'm in there and it's like, look, this is like, when you see all the people is helping in the way it's actually changing lives. It makes it very difficult for that argument that people have, right? First of all, Knowing that cannabis has a you know historically like this stigma was created, um, intentionally because of um blacks and latinos, right, and in the, in the ways that this country that they wanted to try to um you know harm us, right, like like the, right. The, the, having that validation that that wasn't true, like that I wasn't uh you know that I wasn't a, a drug dealer or something negative, like all these things that they had been painted you know to be, I think is what made it make sense, especially because again, as somebody who had been arrested for cannabis on more than one occasion and being somebody that cops pulled over and they're like, you look like a drug dealer because you drive a certain type of car or dress a certain type of way. I never wanted to be that. And I didn't want my mom to be thinking that, but it's like, no, here I am. I'm helping people, like helping people get off of opioids, helping people that are dealing with PTSD, helping my own dad, right. And seeing how it like changed, how it changed his life and even tore down like the, the, I mean, everything that he's faced and felt like as a, you know, as a black man growing up in the fifties and sixties, right? Like even when we talked about getting cannabis, he, he didn't, he didn't want to do it just because he's like, you know, everything he's faced with the government and people like that, knowing that he would be using cannabis. So even helping him go through that and us doing it together, um, was probably one of the most, uh, one of the best parts about it for real.
0: A good connection that you and I had when I first approached you was the veteran connection, and I know you learned a lot when you and I did the Veterans Alternative Healthcare Summit last year. You were very instrumental in helping us um, with that summit, and it was a learning curve for you as well. Even though you were actually helping veterans in the dispensary, you didn't know about the statistics about veteran suicide and opioid addictions and things of that nature. And so when you started hearing the stories that I was telling you about veterans, I mean, you were wowed by that statistics of 22 veterans taking their life each day. So how, how, has, your, her, how has that changed for you? Is it still the same that you find that it's important that you continue the work that you're doing, particularly in the veteran community, or has it changed?
1: Yes, absolutely, and I'll, I'll never forget the the first first time I heard that statistics from my guy Eric Stamper here in Maryland. Um, the dispensary I used to work at, we did the um the discount where we were giving twenty two percent off um for the veterans, and then like being a part of that conference um changed my life because you actually I like, hear anecdotally of people coming and going, but when you're having like you know long conversations with multiple people and you see this is a large scale thing it's not just a small like problem here and there and even my own family members that have been veterans um nailed nailed the we because people have seen me do this they'll actually like you know that having that being a part of that with you made pe- more people i guess open up and talk to me about their problem because they saw that I was associated with you and the work we did together so even like my own family members right like i know and hopefully they won't be mad at me for saying this but like my i mean my aunt and uncle right like they're They're both veterans and actually both former police officers. So like the PTSD that they got from that and both of them, um, you know, use cannabis now um, medically. And, uh, you know, thinking about like, for one, having to go through, I mean, right, talk about that stigma. And then somebody who's actually been a part of like arresting people um, for this, right? Being able to come back and say like, wow, this is really helping me with a number of different ways. Um, It's been, you know, life changing for me.
2: That's actually, now you're getting in the arena that I want to delve into. Before we go, we need to take a short break, but when we come back, I want to, I want to ask you to tell us about um, some of the experiences of people that you, you've helped uplift and things. I know, for example, I listened to uh, your podcast recently, and you had Rashida, I can't say her name, Ashmeed from Last Prisoner Project, and you also touched on a couple of things regarding federal employees and all of those. So when we come back, I'm going to jump into this conversation, and if, if you can, will you share your story about um, uh, some of the people you know that have been incarcerated and how you're helping them business-wise? Not necessarily incarcerated, but people affected by the war on drugs, and then how you're helping uh, uplift those that have been disadvantaged. Uh, can you speak about that when we come back?
1: Sure thing. I'd love to.
2: Wonderful. All right, we're going to take a quick short break for a sponsor break, and then we'll come right back with more with Tahir Johnson. Stand by. Okay, and we're back. So to hear just before we went on the commercial break, um, something you were saying kind of tied into some of the work we've done on the podcast so far. When we first started out, we spoke with Stephanie Shepard from The Last Prisoner Project, and we also spoke with the founder, uh, Andrew D'Angelo, and expungement is a really important, I'm married to a Black woman, I have a mixed family, and I'm also a veteran, a veteran friend of mine, Uh, sorry, I get a little bit worked up about it, but uh, a friend of mine named Sean, I'll just leave it at that. I've spoken to him a bunch of times on this phone. Uh, If it wasn't for organizations with Last Prisoner Project, he would have just been a number, another number incarcerated in the Deep South for crimes against Black people for using cannabis as a means of arresting people. And I'm I'm passionate about legalization of cannabis um, number one, as a, as, a, as a medical standpoint, and I need to get it off the books for everybody, you, me, and all our veterans and anybody suffering from, from pain and addiction and other things like that, because it's in my book, it's been wrongfully criminalized because of political means, which is something you started talking about. And a lot of veterans here in the D.C., Maryland area, we're all uh, federal employees or contractors, and so we can't even get a job. And in Prince George's County, it's a huge black population. So you got to think about how many minority veterans we have here just in my state of Maryland alone, Teresa's and yours as well. So let's let's talk about some of those examples. What comes to mind just in the discussion of 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 the veterans with Eric Stamper or The Last Prisoner Project and helping people in your community? What are you doing um, that that really touches you the most?
1: Well, for sure, you know, like Sharisa was saying, having having the opportunity to spend so much time with her and have these conversations with veterans, I I knew about, like, you know, them not having access to medical cannabis, but, like, all these other things that it can cause from, like, them not having access to their benefits or being able to get other jobs and careers afterwards, like, after you served all this time. Like, that is the craziest part about it to me because you would think that you would want to give these people, especially, like, the veterans, whatever the access to the best, like, you know, whatever we know that we have out there that can help them, right, mm-hmm. I, you would think that they would have access to it. So like, the to, to find that they that we know and have research and data that cannabis can help them. And not only are they not do they not have access to it, but they're like, actively, like, you know, discouraged from being able to use it because of all right. the other things that they could problems that they could cause in their life is like, that makes that's so crazy to me. Um, So that's why it was important for me to be a part of um, you know, helping out with that, um, helping out with that Veterans Access Panel. But I've had the opportunity to do a number of cool things um, over the years. Um, like you mentioned, Last Prisoner Project, and shout out to Stephanie. She is she's an amazing person. Um, but everybody at LPP, um, Steve and Andrew, founders, or um, the whole staff. But a couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity. Man, I, I met Rashida Ashmead, and we literally met and talked on the phone one day for like a couple minutes. But hearing her story. Right. Um, it actually touched me and hit me so close to home because here I am listening to this young girl telling the story of, um, you know, being taken away from her father who had previous cannabis charges. And right. as a young, um, you know, as a young black man with three daughters myself, that hit me close to home. It's like that that could be one of my little girls sitting there thinking about what it's like to not be. Exactly.
2: And it, it it just reminded me of Stephanie so much. And all, there's so many other stories. Their families, and it was that's what reminded me. So I'm, I think you said something where we painted a terrible picture about people who were just trying to find self healing. Honestly, we all medicate for a reason, but but to hear Stephanie firsthand, to hear her father thought that she was a, a drug dealer because she took a drug program so she can get released early so that she can go see her father before he died, it does just kill me. And then I was here, I think. Um, God, R- Rashida was was like twenty years her father's been in jail, right?
1: Yeah, she she was eleven years old. I her dad like went away, like watched them take, like them actually take him away from her. Like she actually lived and right. saw you know, lived and saw these moments, right? And so thinking about for one, for me, it, it makes me think about how blessed and lucky I am that I, first of all that I that my family's never had to face that because like while I've had little small um you know situations with cannabis. Um, Thank God I haven't been one of those people that served 10, 20 life sentences in prison, like Corvain was in jail for life um, in prison for cannabis, right? So I haven't had the opportunity to work closely with those people, just amplify their stories, um, let people understand the pain and see like the real faces to it. Because I think one of the problems is we all talk about like this war on drugs. But and, and talk about it like in a hypothetical manner, mm-hmm. but there's like actual real people, real faces, real families. And I want people to kind of see and be able to put a like face um, to those names. And then as we are talking about the industry now, right? Like what is our responsibility to those same people? Because now we have an industry that made $26 billion in sales last year. Um, you know, never mind the fact that um, that that African Americans only make up 2% ownership. But when we talk about the people that are being arrested for cannabis, right, African-Americans are four times more likely to be arrested for cannabis. And that means that most of those people will never have the opportunity to nail share in this wealth that's being created with these businesses. So for me, it's important that as I'm building my own business, for example, that I'm working to try to give those people opportunities. I partnered with the New Jersey Reentry Corporation and made a commitment to hire at least 10 percent of my employees from there. We're also donating 2% of our proceeds back to that organization so that they can work on, um, you know, trying to provide services for people that are coming out. Um, we partnered with 40 Tons Brand, um, which is Corvain Cooper, another LPP constituent who I mm-hmm. mentioned. Um, we partnered with them to do a career fair in New Jersey, and we had over 1,300 people register and come out. And that was solely focused on trying to educate and, and give opportunities, first and foremost, to people that have had previous cannabis charges. So... We try to do my little my little way to give back um you know every way I can. And that's even um you know, had I had the opportunity to launch an internship program, with Congressional Black Caucus last year, um putting African-American interns into um their Pathways to C-suite program to hopefully try to get people in these upper management positions in candidates. So it's been trying to do everything I could to make a difference and get people in um, you know, where I can. Um, And really, one of the dopest, dopest things, um, and I can't wait till we get to do this again, um, but working with Charissa on that, you know, that veterans, um, um, it was a virtual, right? It's like the peak of COVID, right? So a lot of people hadn't done done things like this during COVID, and we had hundreds of people come out, giving them medical recommendations, hearing from all types of experts. That really was one of the most amazing things I've had the opportunity to do in my professional career. So I was thankful for that also.
0: Oh my God, that is so, so um, powerful. I mean, even your journey from being a person in finance to a budtender tender to now being an owner of simple, uh, pure, Simply Pure, right? Yep. I mean, so the, the important thing that I want to, the listeners and viewers to understand about you to hear is this. Your testimonial about your impact and what has happened to you in the industry the people that you have in your network and how they've been impacted, you're able to have all of that and use that to, to make it make a difference in the community. So in doing all of that, what does it mean to you to have all of this, right? You have a story to share, you have a story to tell and you have experience. So what does it mean to you that you have all of this and now you've reached this, this part of your career?
1: Yeah, you know, you know I, I try to um, not necessarily think about any of the, like, you know, a lot of people come up and say, oh my gosh, you've done this or that. But I, I try not to keep the score on all of that. Um, you know, for me every day, like I try to think of myself like, um, like, like, not to sound crazy, but like, what would Mar- what would Martin Luther King or Malcolm X would have thought about themselves as they were in the height of the civil rights movement, right? It's all about doing the work and all the lives we can change. When we get one opportunity to do this um, like we're only going to get to legalize cannabis one time in each state that we're talking about federally that we're talking about so just trying to have the most impact um, and hopefully um, when people look back to my contribution of it whatever it is whatever it happens people will know that I was um, really about just trying to make a difference right like it really is all about like people that come from and the places like where I come from all across this country. And that's such a broad thing, right? Because we're talking about, um, you know, women, black folks, people that that don't necessarily come from, you know, the money or like people that, that work hard, right? And then that's the other thing. I, I want people to look at me and say that you could do, you really, That when people say you could do anything, like it doesn't matter what you started with, none of that dictates where you're going to go. Because like you would look at me on paper, I, I've had a lot of great things, but, I probably wouldn't have been the person that somebody would have thought would have done all of these things. And when I got here in the industry, there wasn't anybody like me here before. So there was no blueprint for it. It wasn't guaranteed. Right. It's just you hustle, you bust your ass, believe in yourself, uh, work hard. And integrity is like that top and most important thing, because when people know that um, that you're coming from a place of love or that you know, a positivity or good, um, you know, then it's it's hard to fight that, and I, and I like to believe that that love always wins. So you know, just kind of hopefully the 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 way that i the the characteristics that I embody or the way that I try to carry myself to help somebody else to know that they can can do the same thing or better um right, if you keep the right mindset.
2: Teresa, it sounds like he's practicing the Air Force core values of service before self. Yeah. Integrity first, and excellence in all we do, and to hear you're definitely doing all of those things. We uh, we have a few minutes before we have to wrap up. I think Teresa wants to ask you just one or two more questions, and yeah. then we we, wanna, we want to we want you to take an oath with us, and I'm going to let Teresa take the lead on that for you. Um, and I'll just ask this question, then I'll let Teresa ask it. Um, and Teresa, you can throw in any last minute questions, but I really just want to hear before we wrap up. Is what encouraging words do you have for to lift up our audience to encourage them to live the up life?
1: Oh man, to live the up, de- to live the up life, man. I would just say every every day that you get to wake up is a blessing, right? Every day that you get to wake up, um, and man, is is another chance to leave your legacy on this world. Um, you never you never know how many you have guaranteed. Tomorrow's not promised, but make the best of what you have today. And I promise you, everything will be okay. Um, Tell the people that you love, that you love them. Don't just tell them, show them. Right. Um,
2: Show, don't tell.
1: That's all. That's all I would say to y'all, man. Just just live and love and and appreciate it.
0: Now, Tahir, I want to get a little deeper because I know there's probably some things that you would have done over, you know, throughout your journey. Do you have any do-overs?
1: Man. The do over, you know, the the one do over that I would that I was saying, I can't say I know for sure. As much time as I've given the world, uh, you know, all of that time it takes me away from my family. Um, I hope that when my little girls grow up, they they won't think of it as daddy being always gone, because you know that they know that it's that it wasn't because I didn't love them or whatever. Um, but because I'm really out here trying to make a difference in the world, so you know, yeah. if, if the only if only thing if I could think about my time and how I divide it and use it, you know, that's the only thing that I ever really have second thoughts about, right? Like, am I am I am I not spending it or balancing it the right way? So that's, that's the one thing I would say that I would tell people to just think about, even as you are striving to do all these things and change the world, like you have to make sure you take care of at home too, right? Um, and, and your family and yourself, your, your, own mental, your own mental health, like make sure that you look in the mirror and that you're doing what's good for you at the same time as you're doing what's, what's good for everybody else.
0: Yeah, it's that work-life balance. I think we all you know, are challenged with that, trying to figure out as we're trying to impact the world, You know, how much do we give the world? How much do we give our family? How much do we give our friends? And, and it's, particularly your kids are young, so I, I do get it. So what motivates you to hear? I mean, there's a lot of things that you told us here today, but what are some of your motivations and, and your motivators?
1: Yeah, I think my biggest, my biggest motivator is like legacy, man. Like I, I grew up loving people like Puff Daddy and Jay-Z and Kanye. Like, man, I want to have that type of legacy on cannabis. When people look at cannabis, <laughs> they're <be, laughs> they like, look, this is that guy, right? Um, but I mean also, like I said, changing history. Um, we have the opportunity to, to really change history. This is something that for a hundred years, like generations has. Um, you know, been a, been a legal and we have the opportunity now to change the laws that will in turn change people's lives. Like being, like that is the Absolutely. biggest like, opportunity in the world um, and making my family proud. My, um, always think about my grandmother, she's 90 years old. Um, she at 11 years old, she lost her mom and, had, and moved up to New Jersey on her own. Um, you know, built this whole beautiful family Been and, and was successful with a third grade education. So it's like, um, I want to make her proud uh, more than anybody else. I want her to know that everything that she sacrificed and did um, was not for nothing and that her family will be good. And I want to take care of my family the same way. So, you know, that's really um, what inspires me.
0: So before we go, I want you to fill in the blank. So I'm going to give you a little statement and I want you to fill in the blank. Okay. So I want you to say, my name is, and I am. So how would you start?
1: My name is Tahir, and I am amazing. <laughs>
2: Beautiful. That does Sound it. on that a little bit more, here. I want a little bit more
1: detail than that. <laughs> oh, okay. Fill in the blanks. All right. Well, you know, I, I think that um, I'm, a, I'm a father. Um, I'm a man of faith. I'm a um, visionary. Um, and I'm a person that's hopeful um, of what the future has to bring. Um, no, I like
0: that answer. Yeah,
1: <laughs> well, we that all know you're amazing world. already. <laughs> <laughs> that was like for that me. I had to remind myself the first time. <laughs>
0: sometimes we do. Sometimes we got to remind ourselves for sure. But Tere, I mean, your story is amazing. Um, I, Again, I loved working with you last year on the Veterans Alternative Healthcare Summit, where we had over 21,000 you know, viewers on that day, you know, um, on that summit, and that's because of you and the impact that you have in the community. I'm so proud of you, man, as a brother, as someone that, you know, stood on me, um, those key things that I needed to do in this industry. You were my go-to, and I appreciate you, and I love seeing your journey. And for now, seeing you opening up a dispensary in New Jersey, I mean, who would have thought that two years ago? Mm-hmm. So I'm so proud of you, man, and, you know, much success to you. And as always, I'm here for you. You know, whatever you want to do, you need me and Steve. We're here for you and um, continue success for you, my friend. Thank you. I love
1: you. Thank you. Me too, my brother. Thank you, Steve.
2: Thank you, Tahir, for joining us today. Well, that's a wrap for this episode, Tahir. I really do appreciate you being out there supporting others, giving other people encouragement to live the up life. We wish you peace and encourage you to live life to the fullest. Live life, unprescribed Live the Uplife. Thank you. That's a wrap. That's all the time we have for this episode. The Uplife is produced and directed by Steve Elmore. This show is made possible by the help of volunteers from the Unprescribed Nonprofit and supporters like you. The Uplife is part of the Alive Podcast Network. Live life unprescribed. Live the Uplife. The Unprescribed Inc. is a 501c3 charitable organization. You can make a tax-deductible contribution by visiting theunprescribed.org slash donate dot html Become a patron. Visit patreon.com slash theunprescribed and follow us on social media at theunprescribed.